0: Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 221. I have a guest for you today. In today's episode, I talk with Nat, aka the hormone revolutionist. Yeah, she is. Uh, it's super interesting. Nat and I have kind of circled in each other's orbit for, you know, over a decade or so, I would say. Uh, I first uh, met Nat in passing through uh, CrossFit Do. So Nat used to uh, be a member of CrossFit Do and then I knew uh, Amy and Bjorn who previously owned it. They were CrossFit coaches and Bjorn was the head coach at CrossFit St. Kilda originally when I first started working with Jules Um, and you know, I ended up working at CrossFit St. Kilda and teaching their uh, mobility and Olympic weightlifting along with, you know, my coach and a bunch of us who were all coaches and, you know, we're kind of a a tribe. So Nat was, um, yeah, a part of uh, the kind of Melbourne, St. Kilda, South Melbourne uh, CrossFit world. So we had a lot of people, That we knew in common. We've never met uh, in real life before. This podcast episode was the first time that we have met properly and had a proper conversation. But I followed Nat's work for a long time. She's been a practitioner for, I think it's over 20 years now. So she has 20 years of experience within. Hormones, hormonal health, female physiology, menstrual cycle, uh, you know, natural health, uh, Eastern medicine. She's also an author and she's a speaker. She really is an all-round natural fertility expert. She's literally the hormone revolutionist. She was on the scenes like 20 years ago talking about stuff that is only really coming into mainstream media uh, right now. She's also the founder of Melbourne's Women's Health Clinic, uh, The Pagoda Tree. She's creator of Yonuts and producer of Health Talks TV. And most recently, she's a two times best-selling author with her new book, Beautiful You. She's a mama to two beautiful children and a wife. But what does she really do? Because she does a lot. Nat makes women's hormones happy. That is her life's mission. So I wanted to put her in the hot seat to talk about hormones, hormone testing, and how to understand your lab test results. A couple of months ago, she actually did a podcast episode on her podcast and a few posts on her Instagram around lab testing, how we can understand our lab tests, you know, why, uh, you know, what do we do if the test comes back normal, but we don't feel fine? You know, why don't we feel fine, even though those tests say otherwise, you know, what to look for when we're testing our hormones. And I thought, yes, I want to put her in the hot seat and I want to talk about this. So today we talk all about understanding lab and hormone testing. Uh, We spent a bit of time talking about PCOS. She has just released a new PCOS masterclass. Uh, She has So many amazing resources. You've got to jump on, jump onto her Instagram, jump onto her website. She's got a membership where she does masterclasses. She's got like 20 plus years of content on really big key topics when it comes to our hormone health. Uh, So we talk a little bit about her new masterclass, which is on PCOS. She's just updated it after 10 years. Uh, We talk about hormone testing, the types of hormone testing, you know, pros and cons of blood tests, how do we understand our lab test results, you know, what do we do if they do come back normal but we don't feel normal or fine. We talk about how our hormones change during uh, perimenopause and menopause, how we can support them during our 40s, 50s and beyond. We talk a little bit about uh, hormonal support, HRT. And then spend the last bit of the podcast episode talking a little bit about Nat's membership and masterclasses. It was such a cool conversation. She's a rad chick, Uh, just a really cool rad Aussie chick that is really real. Uh, She's funny and she does the coolest, most powerful work. She's so knowledgeable. And so if you want to make your hormones happy, you got to go check out her work and yeah enjoy enjoy this conversation with Nat the hormone revolutionist
1: Nat welcome to the warrior school podcast Amy thank you so much for having me it's um a real pleasure to be here today <gasps>
0: Oh I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while uh before we just started recording I was saying to Nat we've kind of been in each other's like the outer skirts of floating around in the each other's universe uh for quite a while but never fully came into the core to connect um uh we well Nat lives in Melbourne so and I lived in Melbourne for seven years and we kind of had this Theme kind of circle training wise for quite a while. Uh when you trained with beyond and Amy at uh their CrossFit gym. Uh, but today we're not going to talk about training. Today <laughs> <we're gonna laughs> talk about well, we're gonna talk about hormones and yeah. lab testing and hormone testing. Great. Yeah. So the a little while ago, it was a few months ago, uh, you did uh, a little stint where you were speaking a lot about lab testing and hormone testing. And I was like, yes, like I got to get Nat on to talk about this because it's like a a hot, important topic.
1: Totally. I think it's, and it's too, it's super misunderstood and i also think the other thing is it's one thing to be able to read a report but it's another thing to actually truly interpret a blood test yeah. yes there's that as well that old chestnut
0: yeah but first before <laughs> we dive into that i want let's just hear a little bit about your story so what do you do now with your life in your world and then can we go back and connect Maybe a few key dots that led you to
1: what you do today. Sure. I mean, look, I always laugh because my story didn't start out like everybody else's, although I didn't have, you know, in hindsight, I didn't have a great menstrual cycle. And yes, I was the cliche girl that used to vomit in pain and pass out. So, you know, I would say that if you went and tested, there's probably some challenges there in a world where I'm not looking after myself, but I think most people have that. No one's actually superhuman. Um, but I opened up my clinic um, nearly 20 years ago, which freaks me out when I actually think about how long that's been. But at the same time, I'm super proud. Um, and I actually just vowed to never treat women's health. I was like, I am not treating women's health. Who wants to deal with hormonal women all day long? Like, <laughs> why would Why would anyone want to sign up for that? I was like, that's a no. Um, And I said to I had a business partner at the time, and I said to her, I'm going to treat gut health like that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just specialise in gut health. And really little did I realise that the two are like completely intertwined and you really can't separate those out. So what then happened was I kept resisting and then eventually I just said to patients, I just kept asking for help with their their symptoms that were connected to their cycle and I'm like I don't really know I didn't really learn enough of this sure I'd been at university studying at a tertiary level at this point for seven or eight years like a long time um and I still didn't have the knowledge even though I'd studied women's health and gynecology and reproductive health and I'd studied all of this um I still didn't have that knowledge so anyway fast forward and I just remember one day saying to a patient I don't know but let's figure this out because you aren't the first person and I'm kind of fed up and I need to figure it out and just went down the rabbit hole of women's health at that time and really dived in more so to fertility, which now every second person is able to support you with your fertility in the alternative or the complementary or the integrative world. But back then nobody was. So we got busy really quickly, Um, so quickly that I kind of didn't have the infrastructure and and that really was the catapult to where what you see today you know one thing led to another and then we sort of really started to make um some waves in the industry and and so you know that's sort of taken me on this path where i've swung from fertility to teen health to just general women's health now and doing a lot of work in the space of perimenopause because it's very misunderstood for women um and really i guess i'm going to be churned out and sped out the other end is just general women's health nowadays because we've seen the spectrum um, of of all of the things from puberty to post-menopause. And so, yeah, I just get great delight in helping women to understand their hormones simply so that they're not confused and they can actually make an informed choice, which then what they probably don't realize impacts not just their health now, but their health for years to come. And I'm really passionate about that. And I like to just break it down because I need it to be simple as well
0: and so now you love working with hormonal women all day every day
1: (laughs) and that's what I do and you know it's to me now it's really obvious and there's so many things in front of me that are very very obvious that we still aren't seeing as being obvious um which is interesting really but um but yeah I mean I think you've seen if you've seen something enough times you really can just see it And that's what happens quite often with patients nowadays is I I can, you know, you can just see it. It makes it a lot easier to help them on their path because I've treated 2000 versions of them, you know?
0: Yeah. And just before we uh, started recording, you're teaching a masterclass this afternoon.
1: I am. We're doing a PCOS Masterclass this afternoon, which is so interesting because I did a PCOS Masterclass like 10 years ago and I'm like, this really needs to be updated. So here we are circling back some 10 years later. I thought it was about seven or eight years. It turns out it's actually more. Um, and if if you've followed along for any of the ride, you know, everyone jokes about the hairstyles and how the hairstyles have changed over that time. If you look back at that original Masterclass, you can really tell it's 10 years ago. <laughs>
0: Doesn't fashion and hairstyles give away, like, the time that's passed?
1: Totally. Everyone's like, you could just run a tour of the era of hairstyles. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> well, oh, your dear. hair
0: looks fabulous right oh, thanks. now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much.
0: <laughs> I'd love to know, just out of interest, when you went and you started to update that course, uh, and what was... What were some of the biggest changes or the biggest shifts uh, that you changed with the, with the new one, like 10 years on in that space?
1: I love that you've asked that because I actually went back and pulled up the old slides last night because I was really interested. And I always, in my mind, thought, oh, that course is so outdated. I really need to go back and update it. It's actually not that outdated. I was quite like, oh, oh, I was talking about this 10 years ago. Fascinating. Um, I... I think the main advances, especially specific to PCOS that we've seen is that that we are now able to categorize PCOS. It's not a blanket diagnosis. It's a syndrome. And any syndrome is actually rather difficult to diagnose in the first place because you have a handful of symptoms out of many, no different to irritable bowel syndrome, that then allow you to be diagnosed. And to me, I guess irritable bowel to me is a bit of a lazy diagnosis. PCOS is less lazy, but it still doesn't talk to the symptoms in terms of the treatments that are offered. It's just a blanket treatment still. From a Western perspective, we're still using birth control and metformin, which isn't wrong, but it also isn't right or it's such a disservice in the sense it's not actually fixing the problem for women the minute they stop taking that, then the the hormone imbalance is still underlying. And sometimes often it'll help them with one area, but they are still left with a bunch of other symptoms. So they're not actually addressing the hormone imbalance. And I also think the other thing that I've come to be a lot more vocal about um, outside of categorizing uh, your symptoms and putting you into a phenotype is that it's not druggable. It's not a druggable condition and therefore women are constantly feeling like they're let down because they're going to their GP. Their lab reports is getting read to them. Nobody's actually, no one's actually interpreting that and then they're like, well, this is my lot now and it's like, oh, there is so much. No matter what hormone imbalance, whether it's PCOS or elevated estrogen um, or whatever, whatever the presentation might be, It's just a matter of getting your hormones, leading them back to a point where they're actually working properly. It's not that they're not working. They're just not working in a way that's optimal. And so how can we lead someone back to that optimal um, position that they're operating from which I don't think is revolutionary. It's just that we've lost our way with this. We've been clouded by the one pill solution. I want, what's the one thing? And even if you're not thinking about that from a medical perspective, I still have people say to me, what supplement can I take? It's like, it's not the supplement that's actually going to help you. It's the day-to-day things that you do that actually really add up. We're collectively lazy. We really are collectively lazy. And that's, I think, the biggest issue is we make every excuse why we can't do so, And I do this. I do this too. So so don't think, you know, It's I'm like definitely not enlightened, but it's only really until often we're really faced with a, a, a why that's bigger than ourselves that we can align to that and get the results. And so I've watched that play out, whether it's fertility, and I think that's a really big one where women actually go, I've got to fix this now. Whereas if they had the information when they were 19, 20, they could have actually fixed it and lived a happier life and been fertile along the way. So there's so many things, there's so many facets, but I really think that we, we need to do better as women. We need to do better. Mm-hmm.
0: A little while ago, I recorded a podcast with Alice Zoslowski, uh,
1: mm-hmm. who's
0: in Melbourne. Yeah. And there was a couple of things. We were talking about how to nurture um, our children's relationship with food. She has Hazel, who's, I believe she's four. Uh, And there was one thing that she said in that podcast that resonated so much with me was we've tried to make children convenient to fit in with like us and, you know, that we're busy and i thought about it from a health perspective from a female you know physiology hormonal training perspective and i thought yeah like that's what we've done for so long we've tried to make it convenient to kind of fit around you know our busy lives and we're we're doing all of this stuff but it's like the thing that is the foundation that will allow us to show up more powerfully in every other area of our life. We can't make it convenient. So you just saying that is, yeah, it just brought that to mind because we we do that. We try and do that a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as women, we want to have it all. And for so long, we didn't really get to demonstrate that. And so when all of a sudden birth control came along, we could delay having children. We were more in control, or we thought we were in control anyway, until until fast forward 70 or 80 years and we're learning otherwise. But And that's another topic. But, you know, I think what I would be, there's never a right time to have a child. It's just the time that it happens. However, I said to my husband a little while ago, I was reflecting, I'm like, hey, did anyone ever fall pregnant that you knew when you were in high school? And he's like, I don't know. I said, Oh, there were three when I was in high school. There were three that fell pregnant. I clearly remember. And I said, Do you know what? They're out there living their best lives right now. Whilst we're sitting here changing nappies, <laughs> we're changing, we're changing and wiping bums and feeding and. Fighting and, you know, and not just fighting, but you know what I mean. Um negotiating, I should say. And, you know, it made me really think that whilst I remember everyone, A, judging and B going, oh, their lives are over. That's it. They're finished. Look what they've done with their lives. That was the collective, you know, opinion. And actually, no, they're out there living their best lives. Their children are grown up whilst we're still sitting here doing this. So, you know, I do really think that you can't, whilst you can have, and here's the other thing, you have so much control over this without controlling it. If you know your menstrual cycle, you get to decide. If you know when you're fertile, you get to decide what you do with that. And we're not, we're flatlining hormones for convenience for a fertile window of maybe three or four days every cycle all because we haven't taken enough time to actually understand the cues our body is giving to us every month and i've been practicing fertility awareness for ever and i laugh because i'm like how the hell you can't know you're fertile is beyond me if an accident for an accident to happen i would have to be blind drunk and daddy k like climb on top of me without me knowing like there is not a chance <laughs> there's just not a chance So let's, you know, this is the other thing too, people, women don't trust themselves to actually understand what their body's telling them because society has told us we can't trust ourselves yet. We want our cake and eat it too. So we're like, I'm going to back myself all the way with my career and all the things I want to achieve yet. Oh my gosh, I can't trust my body. It's like, that doesn't even work really disappointing, actually. So I think this is the main, you know, for me, it's really teaching women to trust themselves, back themselves. You decide when when the time is right. And the more you can look after your fertility, the longer you're going to be fertile for anyway. And you can have your children a little bit later in life without having to fear pregnancy. And if it so happened, I'm pretty sure you'd figure it out because you're a smart woman and you'd figure it out. Yeah. I love that, Nat. Uh,
0: Before we move into talking about like one of these pieces that can help us, you know, connect to our body is potentially some type of testing or getting an understanding of what's happening to our hormones. I'd love just to know uh, what you meant by helping, like leading a woman, especially like for the PCOS, for example, like over the last 10 years with having an understanding of the different types and then how do you lead someone in that space because it's not through a drug you said what does that look like
1: well it depends on that point in time where they're at maybe they are on some type of drug and that's not wrong it's just not giving them the full picture solution and maybe they're not maybe they don't want to or maybe that hasn't been presented to them as an option um, but I think the main thing is first of all how do we profile those symptoms how do we really speak truly to what your body is telling us you can have lean PCOS, which means that you're not overweight. You actually really don't really have many symptoms other than the fact that you have a missing period, yet you have multiple follicles on the ovaries and you've probably got some issues with blood sugar regulation. Then you can have true PCOS. That's the one that we can see, you know, acne, hair loss or balding on the top of their head, weight gain, missing periods, anxiety, like, you know. That That's mean, but that's that's true PCOS. That's the the mean version of PCOS. But they're very different, as you can see. So the way that we treat them is also very different. But I will say that for every case of PCOS, it is said that there is some level of elevated androgens. There, so their testosterone is generally in proportion to their other hormones elevated. And that's the trick there. It's not that it might look fine on paper, but where is it? proportionate to the other hormones and there is, in my opinion, the research suggests that around 50% of women with PCOS will have some issue with blood sugar and insulin resistance. In my opinion, I would say, and this is just anecdotal, but I would say that all women have a blood sugar regulation issue that have PCOS no matter what the presentation. So if we start with those two things and I can help them to unpack that and start there, it actually reveals whatever is left. So sure, we could treat gut. Sure, we could treat um, other hormones. Like there's always going to be more that you can do. These women are already overwhelmed at this point in time. So throwing everything at it all at once just isn't the right treatment approach, in my opinion. How can we do the least amount possible to get the most profound changes for somebody so that they feel better, And they're like, oh, my goodness, this is the best I've felt in years. And then they're encouraged to keep on going. So, you know, to answer that question, this is how I would unpack it with somebody. What is your body telling me? How can I set some foundational parts up that then can allow us to see what are we left with after that? Where do we need to go next? If anywhere, if anywhere, we might not actually need to. That can sometimes be enough to get the results that we need and all the while being guided by what your body is telling us that is really ultimately how we we navigate this and everyone's because everyone's going to be different yeah
0: it's um it's such a hard thing for so many women isn't it
1: uh, it oh it really to, is yeah And, you know, the options are very limited. So women just feel lost. I had a woman the other day that came in and had had a hysterectomy as a result of her hormone issues and especially or specifically PCOS. And, you know, I mean, that to me is the ultimate last resort. That is like down the very end of the line. And not to say she hadn't tried a lot of things. Absolutely she had. Um, But it still breaks my heart because I'm still like, I still feel like there's so many missing parts to this and, and again, how do we get women to trust what they're doing, knowing that innately it feels right for them to do? Like, I still look at her and wonder, was that, did that feel right? Like, did that feel like the best option? And maybe it was. And there's women out there that go, that was the best thing I ever did. Um, but still doesn't fix the hormone imbalances. They still underlie. And that's the part that, you know, there's a lot of women that are having hysterectomies or being recommended hysterectomies in their 30s for their endometriosis. And I'm like, but it doesn't change what's causing the endo. It only removes evidence of the problem. And then we're now seeing this wave of women that are reporting horrible scar tissue and pain equally as bad as what they were experiencing when they had their uterus, which then demonstrates exactly what I'm saying. It hasn't fixed the the hormone imbalance. It hasn't fixed the inflammation. It hasn't fixed the drivers that are causing this. It's always going to show up somewhere else until you actually are able to regulate somebody's hormones, look at inflammation, look at blood sugar, all these little pieces of the puzzle, that's actually when you you ch- truly get to actually manage something. Um, and for a lot of people, I say, first of all, let's get you to a state of management. Then we put you in a state of recovery, but you can't have one without the other.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful, Nat. I
1: love that. <gasps> yeah, I'm like, you can't flare and repair at the same time. I'm sorry. We have to get you out of this reactive state into a state of recovery where you're living without symptoms and you've removed the offenders that are triggering all of this and now we get to repair. But I think that step is missing for most people. For example, people realise that gluten's inflammatory. They, they say, okay, the recommendation is that you now go gluten-free. Fantastic. You removed a trigger. The trigger's gone. You're not flaring anymore. But that doesn't, it doesn't stop there that's just removing the offender. Now we get to repair the body because the offender's not constantly triggering the problem, and now we can repair. And it also means that unless you're allergic, intolerant and allergic are two different things, unless you're allergic, you can sometimes have some gluten. This is why people go to Europe and they're like, I can have all the gluten. You know, that's not, well, yeah, it is a better quality, but that's not the point. So how do I get you to a place where you're not flaring all the time? That you can then switch to repairing.
0: I love that. It's probably, it's probably also because they're on a holiday in Europe. Of course so it is, totally. Patients stressed. say to me,
1: good oh, no. say, what supplements do I take on holidays?" I'm like, "How about none? And you just have a great time." They're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yes." Let's I uh, ride on. <laughs> what, one of
0: my women, she's gone traveling for three months, and she's in Italy right now, and. Uh, She was, she was like living in an apartment that had some mold stuff. She was in a Mm. job that was really stressful. Anyway, she just messaged me this morning and just showing me some of her recovery data. She's like, Amy, my body loves Italy. Like look at (laughs) all my recovery data. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it's, it's that it's like,
1: Mm.
0: just going somewhere and you know it's not that yeah like you just said it's not you can't have gluten but it's like what state are you eating Mm. the meal in in the environment that you're in in the life that you're in
1: how many pieces the
0: puzzle (laughs) I just thought it was so funny Um, that's so awesome though it is really awesome yeah uh okay so let's let's chat about labs like understanding lab tests understanding hormonal Uh, testing. So for a lot of us, uh, and I've done this previously before for a lot of women, they don't feel that great. Something might be a bit off. So maybe they go to their GP and they get blood test results. Can we start there? Yeah, let's start there.
1: Great place to start. And I actually get patients to start here. If they can get a test bulk build, then why would we not? We pay taxes. Um, so I always say, and it's not necessarily, it's not the best tests that you can do, but it's a starting point, right? If I suspect something, I can send them straight. So let's just be, before we even do that, you can have a blood test, you can have a saliva test, and you can have a dry urine test. They're the three main ways. But your, your GP is generally doing a blood test. Um, and it's it you're going to get all sorts of opinions about whether that's good bad or otherwise and which is the most accurate it's not necessarily the most accurate but it doesn't mean that we can't utilize that information and I actually think every woman should at you know at certain points get testing done because you can't go back and get that I can't go back and get my 25 year old tests because I never did them I would love to know what they said but I'm never going to know right so you go to your GP and very often you go to your GP because you're not feeling okay and you ask, can we do some testing? Now, I see this really commonly happen and I wonder sometimes whether the GP just says yes just to keep the patient happy because the tests that they call for, I'm like, what am I going to I can't do anything with this. Like, you've literally tested iron. <laughs> and, you know, Like, okay, thanks. Um, that's not your GP, GP's fault either they have to be really mindful about what they can run because they need to be able to interpret the result as well. So what actually happens, and it's important to understand this as well, is the pathology lab actually decide on what the reference ranges will be. So so your doctor will request a, a um, test. Your pathology lab will collect the let's say blood serum or whatever you're doing your your blood and then the pathology lab will then prepare a report based on what they see so but remembering that they then decide based on all of the blood tests that they do they decide what the reference ranges are for that particular lab which means that let's just unpack that for a second if i'm testing thyroid Most people aren't testing thyroid just for a good time. They're testing thyroid because they think there's a problem with their thyroid, right? So can you start to see that if the pathology lab is deciding on the reference ranges based on the clientele, maybe those ranges could either be really big and not necessary and so you're going to be told you're fine because you're within a range Um, or maybe they're outdated um, or maybe there's discrepancies. and this is this so this is why it's really important when you are testing to try and stick with the same pathology lab all the way through because all of the labs have different reference ranges that they utilise, which means all of the reports are actually going to if you were to go to five different pathology labs, you'd probably get five different reports dependent on where their reference ranges lie. Hmm. And they're, like I said, they're probably skewed towards an unwell population when they're looking at those ranges. So that starts to become a little bit problematic because now you've already got the variable of the path lab that you're using, the time of day that you're doing it. If you'd been told to do it correctly, if me, that's another thing you would want to do it at the same time, testing at the same time, knowing when to ask the patient for certain tests, when to do it. That's especially important for hormone testing. And I'll talk about that in a second. And then you've got the variable of the the pathologist who's reading the results creating the report and then the doctor being able to read that report and relay that back to you and if the doctor doesn't know how to actually interpret a blood test they will simply read the report and say oh you look fine but what generally happens at this point if you're asking for a blood test because you don't feel fine and then you're told you're fine you're not really getting any answers and I would say nine times a ten you're probably not fine but You are well within the safe ranges, so therefore you're not about to fall over and be a liability, so then therefore you are fine. Um, This is where I always said to patients, all right, let me now have a look at this test because we don't want to just be within a range. We want to be optimal within the range. And knowing where optimal sits can even be more tricky, and this is why, yes, I think having the discussion around testing is very important, but you definitely also don't always want to be interpreting your own labs although you, I want you to have an idea around what they should look like because you then also need to go pro, and profile these against your other hormones as well. So it becomes a little bit intricate when it comes to reading, testing based on all of those variables. And then as women, we're different every single day of our cycle, which means what your hormones said yesterday and what they might say tomorrow could be polar opposites. And if you don't understand that, you could look at that and say, oh, my gosh, you are about to hit menopause because you don't know how to read the test properly and your FSH is through the roof. In actual fact, <laughs> you're just about to ovulate. You know what I mean? So um, it, it's important to understand and look at the bigger picture and really understand what is actually happening. And, again, it's not your doctor's fault. This It's not necessarily their job is to read you the report and this is often where we place all. That's the often for women. That's the end of that. That's like, oh well, my doctor said I'm fine. This just must be my life now. I'm in my 30s. Everyone talks about the downhill. Obviously, here I am. Um, so it is a bit of a cascade of events that happens that lead women, I think, to a point where they are lost and they don't have answers. And there's no real, there's no real good. Um, we can't really point the finger at anybody for that. The system's a little, I guess we point out the system, the system's a little bit broken. Yeah, so
0: say we're not feeling that great, so maybe low energy or we're starting to notice maybe there's some cycle stuff Or, and we go and we get the blood test results and then the blood test will come back and we're maybe normal or within range that we can't really find anything. But uh, when you look at it, what, are, and I know every woman's different and you've looked at hundreds, if not thousands of reports, but, you know, could we maybe pull on like a bit of an example or a case mm-hmm. study of like, cause yeah. when you look at what do you see that maybe we can't see as women and maybe some GPs can't see or some pathologists can't see, like, what are you, how, what's your lens? And especially from like maybe like a thyroid, energy, hormonal kind of perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many variations, isn't there? And that's where it gets hard to be at. But I think if this is you and you have had tests and you don't feel good, but the tests say you're fine, this is your sign to maybe look and get somebody that can actually interpret the results or even ask for the right test results. Because that's where I actually see the biggest issue is the right testing isn't done and it's not done at the right time. So, for example, thyroid, you can pretty much test any day of the cycle. It's not going to matter because what we're looking for in terms of thyroid hormones, um, it doesn't really change throughout the cycle. Whereas your sex hormones, and specifically I mentioned FSH and LH before, they're going to change, and so is your estrogen and and progesterone is going to, to typically change. So the first part of this is knowing what you're testing for first and foremost, and then secondly, working out, do I need to do this at a specific time? You can't capture progesterone until after someone's ovulated. So suggesting that they do a test on day two for progesterone when you don't have any, you're going to come back very disappointed to learn you don't have any testosterone, which can be a slippery slope, and we laugh, but it happens all the time. Um, and so knowing that generally when we're testing full full sex hormones for women, we would be testing on day 21, provided she has a regular menstrual cycle and provided that she's ovulating at the right time, we can then capture all of that. But having said that, we might want to also test on day two just to check and make sure that the FSH and LH levels are where they should be um, because that's the best time to capture that at the beginning of the cycle, not necessarily at the end of the cycle. So it really depends on what we're looking for. And then it's also looking at where are they proportionate. So someone can present and their estrogen is completely fine, yet they can get to the um, middle of the second part of the cycle, the luteal phase, and they don't have enough progesterone in proportion. That actually would say to me, you've actually, in proportion to progesterone, you have too much estrogen. It's not proportionate. How do and usually. We, like, we don't just look at a test result for this. We look at someone's symptoms to line up with that. So I will unpack their symptoms alongside their test results. So let's say that they're like, well, my estrogen's fine. My test result says it's within range, even from a functional perspective, yet I don't seem to have enough progesterone. I would be then saying, okay, well, tell me about your period. Is it heavy or light? That is the best way to know what your oestrogen is doing. Too much oestrogen, heavy bleeding. Not enough oestrogen, not enough bleeding. So lining up the symptoms at this point in time with the test results actually becomes far more useful than just being driven by a test result, which might not actually give you the big picture because it's not looking at your symptoms and it's not actually looking at where it is proportionate to everything else. And then I can decide, okay, well, even though your estrogen's fine, You don't have enough progesterone and so they're not proportionate and that's probably why you're bleeding heavily as well. Well, that's the sign. This could also just be your normal. You know, everyone's different. So um, that's where I would look with with sex hormones. With thyroid, I think the biggest problem is that we typically only test for TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, which is the hormone that the pituitary releases to stimulate the thyroid. It's not even actually testing the thyroid. There's the first problem. So we're looking at how much output does the brain have to provide to stimulate the thyroid to work and the tricky part about thyroid is it's opposite to what you would think. So the more the more TSH, the more the pituitary has to send signal to the thyroid to work, the less functioning the thyroid is. It's not sensitive to that. so it's not utilizing it properly. So it it you look at it and you go, okay, well when your TSH is elevated that actually indicates a um, sluggish thyroid or hypothyroid, where the opposite is the less it has to release, um, it swings the other way and becomes more active and therefore it's hyperthyroid. So just knowing that helps, but we would want to look at other thyroid hormones. We would want to look at what your um, thyroid, your, your thyroid storage hormone. So you want to look at your T3, T4, reverse T3, reverse T4 and piece it all together for somebody to actually figure out where the problem lies. Medicine is starting to do this a lot more, but I think this is where functional and complementary medicine really needs a pat on the back. It's like we've been talking about this for ages, guys, and because it hasn't been science, it's been woo, and now all of a sudden it's not woo, it's like science. So it's like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) maybe we could look over here to be driven over here. Um, And I mean, we see that with everything, right? I just still blows my mind that that there's still opinions where Alternative medicine is woo. It's like mm, I've been talking about this for a little while. Mm. So knowing that I think is very important and then also looking at where your other vitamin and mineral stores are because you require nutrients for your thyroid to work properly. If you don't have enough iron, for example, then you you need thyroid to convert your inactive to active thyroid hormone. That alone is a in a, a problem. So piecing that together. So uh, someone's thyroid problem, could actually stem from having a heavy bleeding because it it pulls on their iron stores and therefore then their thyroid's not working properly. So you've got to figure out, you've got to piece it all together and you've got to figure out where the end of the chain is and work up, not the other way. So our mind goes, I'll for example, let's say, okay, I've got a patient, thyroid's a, tr- a problem, she comes in for her thyroid issues, but I discover she's bleeding heavily. Do I want to treat the thyroid or do I want to treat the bleeding? I want to treat the bleeding because if I treat the bleeding, then the iron improves. If the iron improves, then the thyroid improves. But when we look at it from a Western perspective, we say, oh, well, you need thyroid medication to fix your thyroid because it's not working properly. All the while, she still keeps bleeding heavily. She's still got no iron. She doesn't feel fantastic. And it's got really nothing to do with the thyroid. It's actually the heavy bleeding. So it's just flipping the way that we look at things. And really being the best thing you can do for the lay person is ask the question, why? Always ask, why? My thyroid's not working properly. Okay, why? Why is it not working? Is it a nutrient issue? Is it an adrenal issue? Is it the gut? Is it there's, we have to figure out why to fix that part of the puzzle. So I think, and why is not obnoxious either. If you go to your health provider and they say, okay, well, your TSH has come back high. Why? It could be not just bleeding. It could be that you have antibodies. Let's work out why. If you have elevated thyroid antibodies, well, that's why. So now we have to treat the antibodies. Why are the antibodies high? Always because of inflammation. Always. So, you know, you can piece it together. It's not that hard, but it seems overwhelming when this is your first rodeo and you're looking at this going, all I know is I don't feel good. That's all I know. And I'm being told I'm fine. (laughs) no.
0: Yeah, Nat, from what I'm hearing is there is uh, such importance in us knowing and understanding our bodies, so tracking our menstrual cycle, understanding patterns, signs and symptoms, like tracking all of these things, because we need that. Alongside potentially some type of lab testing or hormonal testing. And it's so helpful when a woman comes to see you as a practitioner to be like, hey, also, here's all my data, here's all my like patterns or my signs or my symptoms uh, alongside the test results because that's what you want to, you want to know yeah you want to know patterns and symptoms and signs uh, to help you piece the puzzle together.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't always I don't necessarily need a test result. I actually most of the time don't need the test result because symptoms speak so loudly. However, they are very useful to see progress the changes that somebody makes when we start to make some adjustments. Um, And I think it's important for the patient to have that data as well that they can refer back to. Um, And like I said, you can't go back and get that ever again. So I really think if you were to say to me, all right, well, how often am I testing this, Nat? I don't know, maybe once every three or four years would be useful as your body is really very cyclic and you are generally shifting through the phases as a woman every eight years or so. So if you were to capture that at the beginning and the middle, every time you moved into a new phase, I think that would be really useful. Now, the problem is also you're not always going to get your doctor to do that for you because it is an expense on the medical system. So, and also if the doctor can't interpret, it, if you came to me and you said, Nat, I suspect I've got cancer, please run the right blood tests. I would be like, I don't even know where to start with that. That's not my area of expertise. I can't, but I would refer you to someone who could. But if you said that to me, I would be like, I can run this testing for you, but I have no idea how to guide you with this. This is not, this is not my area. So, and we do have experts, don't get me wrong. This is the other thing I think is a big issue. We are often seeing our GP for a problem we should be seeing our gynecologist or our endocrinologist for. And then the other problem there is the endocrinologist and the gynecologist don't necessarily speak to each other either. So, <laughs> so you know, there. if you in a perfect world, the, the body works as a unit. Yes, we can look and isolate various systems within the body, but they are all intertwined, and so if you are just isolating the reproductive organs and trying to just treat that, that's going to be a very long road. Um, if you are just trying to isolate just your endocrine system and nothing else, again, so how do we piece that together? And I don't have a, I don't have a great answer for how you can do that, other than really advocate for what you want, but also take some control and learn your body, and then. Maybe you need someone who's integrative to then be the glue to piece it all together for you. Um, and there's some fantastic providers, doctors. Um, I mean, Australia is a little bit limited, but especially in the US there's a lot more collaboration um, between various modalities of healthcare. Mm. Yeah. it's um,
0: there's There's so many pieces to it isn't there and I think where we can really start is one understanding our own menstrual cycle our own body and then starting to you know I always look at it as an umbrella like where we wear this umbrella our body's the umbrella and we have all of these prongs and the prongs make up the umbrella. They give it its shape. They allow it to do its job. And so if one or more prongs isn't working, well, then the umbrella can't work. It's not optimal. And so it's, you know, it's our role to learn our umbrella and learn our prongs and then also find people that can help us and lead us in certain prongs. Because, again, we're, we're not, it's okay that we don't know all of this stuff. We weren't, we weren't taught all of this stuff. So no, that's it's, exactly right. Yeah, it's leaning in to be like, okay, well, like let's look at the prongs. You're an umbrella and it's about trying to trying to get support and make sure all of the prongs are optimal so the whole entire system can work um, the best I way. think the,
1: the other challenge also is um, it's really important that we obviously get sound advice and advice that feels right for us and sitting with the advice that you get and figuring out is that best for me You can have five opinions and the reality is it's just that. It's just someone's professional opinion. So, you know, it's hard when you're not feeling well to actually really lean into your intuition. However, it's really important that you sit with decisions that you make to really ask your body, is this the right thing for me right now? And you're in control of that. And I think so many people feel like that's been taken away from them. They've been told that they have to do this by their health provider. And that's where the slippery slope has begun. I do really think that there is nobody that can be a better expert in your body than you. You live in it. (laughs) So, you know, I really do think we can ask for opinions and we can ask for help and we should definitely we should but at the end of the day the final decision lies with you the final decision about whether you're going to get up in the morning lies with you whether you're going to actually invest in moving your body lies with you there's nobody that's going to very unless you want to maybe pay someone to stand over you and crack the whip be like come on Nat, it's time to move you know what I mean like I have to do that do I love that no but afterwards do I yes you know so we have to come back to those fundamentals, but we also have to be able to sit with what's presented to us as our as our options or option <laughs> um, and also unpack that. And sometimes the option is speaking to the lowest common denominator, which is, you know, that's why we have a healthcare system. Don't get me wrong. There are people that that would be amazing for. But if that's not you but you're now adopting a plan that's accommodating the lowest common denominator, is that what you want for yourself? I don't think so. So I think we just have to really think about where we fit in the spectrum as well and how much power you have and and don't let anybody tell you that you can or can't do something when it comes to your body. The other thing about testing I just do want to say is when you do get a blood test or any test, um, please ask your provider for a copy of the results because they can be so hard to get after the fact, which is madness because they're yours. However, it is so hard to get things to be released, um, which is unfortunate. So I always say, just ask your doctor. Say, I like to keep my own record. I have my own little file at home. So whenever I have a blood test, I like to get a copy of that um and i think that was also a really nice way of you taking some control over the situation without um because i think a lot of us feel worried that we're going to upset our healthcare professional mm. we're worried if we ask questions and then they like attack us or something so if that's you just ask for a copy of it and then you've always got that copy and you can seek another opinion or get some alternative support or integrative support or whatever that needs um but always ask for a copy of that because it is super hard to get after the fact.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, that's really helpful, Nat. What about uh, the other types of testing? Like why might you do uh, a saliva test over a blood test or why might you take, you know, take take someone's pee over their, over their blood or as well as?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you're going to get mixed opinions on this. Um Medically, we're learnt, we we're told that a blood test is always superior. Um, from a functional perspective, we look at serum, um sorry, we look at urine and saliva. Saliva is what I would say is is rather accurate, and the most accurate for hormones would be a dry urine or a Dutch test. Um, and that's also because when you do a Dutch test, you um it's a little bit like a pregnancy test where you pee on something over the course of uh, 24 hours. So you're really getting a full snapshot of what's happening, not just the the issue that I have with blood work is it is just a snapshot of a window of time and it can be very temperamental depending on what you're testing. So cortisol, for example, will vary a lot and I've had patients that have been diagnosed by their healthcare providers with an adrenal issue when actually they just really hate blood tests and they were just really stressed out about having a blood test. And I looked at all their markers and I was like, why are you even here? And she's like, I- I've got adrenal issues. And I'm like, are you tired? She's like, no. I said, you sleep fine? Sleep fine. I mean, I went through all of the, I said, okay, let me ask you one more question. What happened the day that you got this test? And she said, oh my goodness, I stress out of my brain. I hate blood tests. I always think it's going to come back and tell me I'm dying. <laughs> You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. That's why your cortisol's high. You can't just have this is why having data over a period of time is really important. Um, but but a dry urine test is a very accurate test for hormones. Having said that, it's an extremely expensive test. So is it the best place to start? I mean, for some people it might make sense, but this is why I always say, let's get a blood test. It's cheap, it's still accurate, you've just got to know how to read it. Um, and whereas the reporting on a, uh, dry urine test is really thorough. So it can help the practitioner to really, if, you know, if you haven't looked at a lot of testing, it can be really helpful for the practitioner cause it is very thorough, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with saliva, I, I actually really quite like saliva for hormone testing. It's easy the patient doesn't have to go and get a blood draw. They're not stressed about it. Um, so there's lots of advantages to that. And it's, 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 it's um really accurate as well. The only time we can't use um dry urine or a saliva is for thyroid. We actually have to do a blood draw for that. So um it's just knowing what to do, when to do it, and which is the test that's most appropriate. Um, but other than thyroid, yeah, they're not necessarily wrong. They're just more costly. Mm.
0: So what would, you know, uh, if you were a woman that was now in like her mid-40s and you just started to see some cycle stuff, you know, some cycle changes, you started to get all of these symptoms, like stuff is like, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It's super chaotic. You don't feel, you just don't feel right. You don't feel normal. Mm. Uh, How, like what should a woman in her, you know, I know it's important for us to do it like you just said uh, a couple of times, Nat, across, you know, many kind of seasons or stages of our life. But a lot of the women I work with are in, you know, their late 30s. Most of them are in their 40s. Um, and they're in this time period where, you know, things are going to start to change. And a lot of them are experiencing, yeah, signs and symptoms and they're noticing patterns uh, can we just kind of riff on that a little bit around of course. Kind of what's happening with their hormones? Like, do you advise them to go get some some tests done to kind of see what what's happening? How do you support with like, you know, the changing hormonal levels and the, the decline in progesterone, which then makes estrogen, you know, a little bit wacky? And uh, yeah, I'd love just to chat a little bit about that with you.
1: Yeah, I mean... We did a masterclass on this recently, and it was so nice to be able to first and foremost say to patients and, and um, members and people that attended the masterclass, perimenopause is a phase, no different to puberty. So if you've been diagnosed with perimenopause, it's not a diagnosis. <laughs> it's actually just a phase. The amount of women that are being diagnosed with perimenopause is shocking to me because it's no. not an illness. Really? It's a phase. Yes. Oh, Yes. My doctor diagnosed me with perimenopause. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that's where we first want to just make that clear that it's a phase, not a diagnosis. Same with menopause, though. I think a lot of people think that's, in- that's a illness because so many people have horrible symptoms. And, I mean, the symptoms aren't, dis- we're not discounting the symptoms, but the symptoms are because the body's not in balance. Um so perimenopause, I think the main thing to understand with perimenopause is, you know, from around 35, we hit this phase where we start to see some decline in ovarian function. And we know this. And the one thing that speeds this up is stress. Um, stress speeds up every known, you know, disease or illness within the body. It absolutely magnifies our symptoms. So We see this slow decline and that can be over 25 years for some women, this decline right until they their estrogen because what that means is essentially their estrogen is actually, you know, is on the decline. So we start to see a decline in ovarian functions, which means we start to see a decline in estrogen, which means we start to see a decline in the flow On result to that can be fertility. It doesn't mean you're not fertile, but it means we're starting to see you're coming. You've kind of reached the peak and now you're coming down the other side. And that's, that should be slow and that should be gradual and that really should be without symptoms other than you really should see lighter periods because if you think less estrogen, less lining, less bleeding, hallelujah, we want that by the way. So you really should see lighter periods. We start to see symptoms that might increase just before the period. So when I say symptoms, you might feel more hot. Um, At night time in the lead up to the period, you might have um, low-grade night sweats for a few days before the period. You might sleep great in that time. Um, Again, because of the changes in hormones, it's pretty normal. And you start to see fluctuating cycles. So they're still regular. They're still within sort of regulars considered anything from 24 to 36 days. So, so long as they sit somewhere in that, whereas once upon a time, they might've been smack bang on 28 days every month. Now they start to vary. So they fluctuate. We call them fluctuating, but that's still considered regular. They're not irregular. They're still within that time frame, And they're the common things we should be seeing at this point in time. However, we're not seeing that. And why aren't we seeing that? It circles back actually to what we were speaking about at the very beginning. And that is that all of these symptoms that we see are a direct result and correlation to our modern lifestyle. High stress, chemical exposure, um, you know, environmental toxins, we're exposed to all of these things that upset our, our regular hormone balance. And so rather than us seeing this slow decline, what we're actually seeing is cortisol is high and it's the impact that cortisol is actually having on the um, sex hormones that instead of us seeing these little fluctuations so we you know have these fluctuating cycles and we start to see big fluctuations and that feels horrible we start to see crazy cycles heavy bleeding PMS or PMDD like symptoms for two weeks before the period arrives weight gain insomnia anxiety I mean it's not a good time so you can no wonder women are thinking they have a diagnosis at this point in time when it's actually just a phase um, the diagnosis actually comes back to what the hormones are doing. But we can't control this slow decline. We can probably slow it down. We can't stop it. What we can do is actually understand our cortisol better so that it's not impacting our, our sex hormones and we're not seeing these big big fluctuations and really feeling that. So the answer actually lies with cortisol, not the hormones. Let the hormones do what they need to do over that time and let them gradually decline. We want that to happen want to be pregnant when we're 65, like, come on, but you are still fertile. And the other thing I say to that is, how do I know? If you weren't, you wouldn't be prescribed birth control in your thirties. If you, if that was done and dusted and your fertility was not an issue anymore, you wouldn't be prescribed birth control. So long as you're ovulating, you're fertile, that's another whole discussion. So we need to actually get a better handle on our cortisol to better manage our symptoms. And we do this through lifestyle. We do this through movement. We do this through, um, You know, we really do need to adjust and just take a little bit of a recce of our lives at this point in time. You are probably the busiest you're ever going to be in your life. But everything has led you to that point. It's not like you woke up one day and it was all just slammed on you. It's layer upon layer. You know, maybe you've had children, maybe you're working, maybe you've started to look after your parents because they're getting a little bit older. Like there's all these layers of things that all of a sudden you're having to juggle. And so really, What has to be the focal point during perimenopause and menopause is actually you because you're useless to everybody else if you can't look after yourself. Yet, unfortunately, our mothers were conditioned to put themselves last, and that's what we've seen. And there's still this collective belief that if you put yourself first, then you're selfish. And it couldn't be further from the truth. You're actually selfish by not putting yourself first because you're useless to everybody else. So basically, you're good to nobody, and you're not good to yourself either. So let this also be a little bit of a reminder that actually putting yourself first is super important. It, it you do not get a badge for being stressed. You don't. No one. You, in fact, people probably look at you and think, "Oh my goodness, she's a little bit erratic. She needs to calm down." Whereas all the while you're like, "I'm do Look at me doing all the things." You're like, Mm-mm, "No, you're not. You're actually dropping a lot of balls." Um, so you know, just really assess. And one thing I say to patients is I need you to be conscious about how you're feeling on in any moment. I need you to just stop and be like, actually, you know why I'm feeling overwhelmed is because now you're actually trying to do too much or you're actually stressed or you've got a masterclass tonight and you've decided to go and, I don't know, volunteer at school or whatever it is. It's like, okay, I need to just, I'm not going to change that, by the way. I just have to recognize that that's what's happened Um, and, and I think with doing that, there's also some tools and things that we can take in terms of supplements, but I also think as we get older and nutrition has to shift to suit where our hormones are at, we definitely know as we get older, I mean, protein is always going to be king, but the amount of protein we need as women, as we get older, we're in a stage now we want to, and really have to maintain our muscles as much as we possibly can for our long-term health. You can't go back and get that. There's no chance. So how do we keep what we've got and maintain that so that we can have that longevity and that we can have that balance? Um, But I'm really, really, I think that's the one thing women start to experience these symptoms. They revert back to what they did when they were 21 when they started to gain weight and they go, oh, my gosh, I know what I did. I ran a lot on the treadmill and I ate nothing. And (laughs) it's a disaster. (laughs) You know, and patients say this to me all the time. And I'm like, so how's that working for you? It's the same thing I'd say every time. So is that working? No. I'm like, all right, so we're not going to do it anymore. We also need to be really, really, um, really focused and, and mindful of the type of movement that we're doing. Again, is running on a treadmill in your 40s and 50s ideal? Probably not. Um, You know, when I say to women, I need you to just bring the cardio down, they're like, what do you mean? That's how I maintain my physique. And I'm like, it's not working. <laughs> so, you know, we've got to adjust things in accordance to that. And also what that really is doing is making sure that we're regulating our cortisol as well. If you're sitting there and you're running on the treadmill for an hour every day, your cortisol is not going to love you for that. And therefore, what does the flow and effect of that is these these fluctuating hormones. So, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle when it comes to perimenopause, but I do think it's very important for women to understand it's a phase that you can na- navigate without horrible symptoms. And that actually is going to set you up for a smoother transition into menopause and beyond.
0: Mm, yeah. One last question, that oh, I've got two actually. Uh and, sure. then, and then you gotta, you gotta go. Cause you gotta go oh, good. teach teach masterclass. Uh just on that, so everything that you were speaking about really is like the foundation stuff of like, we've got to build the foundation. We've got to manage our stress. We've got to change maybe how we approach our food and our training. Uh, But what about like, do we need hormonal support as we, as our progesterone says, see ya later. And then as estrogen starts to decline, as we get into menopause, uh, and I know I could probably have you on for a whole podcast episode on like hormonal support, like what would we do after menopause, like the HRT conversation, but could you just touch on it just really quickly? Is that even something that we we might have to do uh, if we've got a good foundation but then there's some stuff going on or should no stuff be going on if we've got a pretty good foundation or is it a different game or a different story when we're like right at the end and we're going into menopause?
1: I mean our aim is to always set someone up so they need the lowest to no dose of any medication without symptoms, right? That's the aim and don't get me wrong there are some women that that will say that hrt has changed their life however when i look at their life i think their life needed to change so that they didn't actually need the hrt <laughs> but you know um i don't love that as a solution cuz at what point okay here's my question your hormones are supposed to naturally decline why would we want to pe- why would we want to scaffold them up when they're actually supposed to be declining that doesn't make sense to me at all you don't look at a teenager and say, oh, wow, your testosterone is peaking right now as a 16-year-old. It's actually supposed to be peaking, but anyway, oh, let's let's do something to try and regulate that. Like we don't do, so why would we do that at the other end? It just doesn't even make any sense to me. Um, so short answer is no, but you need to make sure that, and this is true for any phase or stage, what can I do right now to support my body so that these transitions are, I can actually say they should be pretty seamless. They're not supposed to be some peak event that you s- clear the calendar for two years. The biggest issue I actually see is that women's estrogen isn't declining. And that's not because it's not trying to, or maybe their true estrogen's declining, but it's these estrogen mimicking chemicals, products, environmental toxins. They all mimic estrogen, <clears throat> excuse me, and they they actually trick your body's own estrogen into having too much. Or your body can't deal with it. It's like, oh, there comes more of whatever chemical said chemical. I'm just going to add that to the estrogen pile because to your body, it looks like estrogen. It doesn't know the difference. Um, and so I think the actual bigger issue here is the fact that if we're looking at the little clues as they arise and we're able to address them quickly, we can keep the body within this equilibrium that it should be naturally doing <clears throat> excuse me except our modern living actually is what derails that mm-hmm. so what first and foremost i mean my biggest pet hate is when women in their 40s and 50s are prescribed birth control to manage their hormones i mean that's lazy medicine and many gynecologists will agree with that um but also hrt i mean at what point do you stop that at what point do you go oh it's time to come off and then what happens yeah. you you haven't set a foundation up that's just to me um it's just, it's just again, it's lazy. Let's fix the underlying problem. It's not to say that maybe you might not need it for a little period of time. That's okay. But what's the long-term plan here? Always be looking at what the long-term plan is. And that's what I would be saying, you know, okay, I, I can't get a handle on my symptoms and I haven't slept for a year. Is it a good idea? Maybe. For a little while, so that I can break the cycle and then I can fix the underlying problem and then I can look at transitioning off. Mm. Or maybe I can actually fix the problem then and there and I don't need to go on it. So, you know, I think we just have to have it's that bigger picture and asking the questions. And again, we have to do some of the work too. Like we actually have to do some of the work. And, and you know, it's, I was just reading some messages before and it was like, oh, I want to do better. I want to. I just can't. It's like you kind of have to. Like, you know, there's no uh, the wanna the wanting is good. Let's start with the wanting and then we have to actually action that. But again, I think it's because there's no clear plan as such. So how do you follow that? Um and and again, we've probably watched what our mothers have done and that's another whole conversation.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Nat, where can people learn more from you? Where do they find you? where could they work with you? where could they get educated uh, because I think yes it it's it can that can be so helpful just to get educated by someone who properly in itself and then start listening to your body then you have a stronger connection and then you can take action and then that's on you like you just said you've got to take ownership and responsibility of actually actioning a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. but yeah where where do they find you where can they work with you like this masterclass this afternoon like How do they find that? How do
1: they do that? I love that. Thank you. Well, there's a few things that you can do. I mean, we've been doing masterclasses pretty much monthly for over a year now. So there's a whole library of masterclasses. So you have options. You can either tap into the masterclass that will help you for where you're at um, or we have a membership where the membership actually gives you access to all of the masterclasses, um, so the back catalogue as well as ongoing. um, And that really is a resource that I would say that's where you start. A lot of people want the one-on-one and I'm like, I teach you the foundational things so that we can fast track your results with a one-on-one. And also I appreciate that everybody has different means to be able to do things and everybody learns in different ways. So you start with either the masterclass or the membership. And I would say that there's protocols in each of those that you would follow for around 12 weeks and then see where you land. And if you're feeling better, then you don't need me one-on-one. But then if you do need me one-on-one because something's not making sense, then of course we do that as well um, and we're still operating. But you can find everything at Um, Everything is there. If you're wondering if we've talked a little bit about hormone imbalances, probably a really great place to start is... If you do head to the website, you'll see that there's a hormone worksheet that you can do and it will actually profile your symptoms and help you to work out where you might need to start. And I think it's it's not going to solve all of your problems. It's, it's, it's going to allow you to become more curious and direct you in a path that speaks to your symptoms and I think that's the best place that you can start. And then we've got also a whole website that if you go and use the search bar and search in whatever you're looking for, then chances are you'll get an answer. And if you don't, please let me know and I will actually create whatever you need to sit on that because there's like 15 years of of posts there that can help you. So, you know, and the other place I love to hang out is Instagram. It's Nat Kringudis over there. And I just, I love interacting there. I spend way too much time interacting there, but I don't care. I love it. And that's my jam.
0: <laughs> Nat, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being on this mission having this vision for helping, it's probably thousands of women now over the last 20 years, it's it's so powerful.
1: Oh, would- thank you. It's a pleasure. I mean, I don't even know what else I would be doing, but it's also really nice to be at a place where, you know, I don't know everything, that's for sure. I've still got probably, I'm only halfway through my career, but there's an, I've seen enough to know enough. Um, and so I think that that's the one thing that to me is really important that, you know, there's that, there's what we know academically, but then there's also what we know intuitively or what we've seen a thousand times over. And I think being able to integrate that to me is a real privilege. I really just love waking up and doing what I do. So thank you for those kind words. I appreciate you saying that. It's
0: a superpower, Nat. It really is because- yeah, the, the systems can be at least 10 years, if not further behind. And so someone being in on the field, in the arena, working with so many women for so many years, like that there, that there is like the,
1: the research study. That, I know. Well, that's, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's gold another, standard.
0: <laughs> all right, another
1: whole conversation. I do like to actually keep a, a little bit of a telly of things too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. It was, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, you are a wealth of information and you do have a wealth of information on your website. Uh, and so I just, I deeply appreciate you and your work.
1: Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate you. And thank you for the opportunity and the platform that you created that we can have these conversations as well
0: warrior woman thanks so much for listening to this episode if you haven't please give the podcast some love by subscribing now and if you enjoyed this episode please rate it and share it with another warrior woman also if you want to go crazy i'd love if you wrote a review for the warrior school podcast And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.